Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I'm the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. And today I am joined by our friend, Campbell Ruggles from Brooklyn, New York. Hi, Campbell. Hello. I say Campbell's our friend because I think I think this qualifies as friend. You recently completed our uh, chief of staff course that's yes. facilitated by um, our partner, our coaching partner, Julia Quijano. Um, and she just raved about your participation in that program and was so excited to, um, to connect us all. So Julia is so, so amazing. And the, the class itself was, was truly great. And I'm super thankful to be part of the Maven community. Awesome. Great. Well, this is one more way we can um, get our hooks into you, Campbell, <laughs> with, the, with this podcast. So, um, so a little background on Campbell. She is the executive assistant currently to the CEO of Universe. And Universe is a software that allows you to build a website from, this is crazy to me, but you can build it from your phone in less than a minute. Campbell is one of those people who gets up to speed quickly on things. She makes an immediate impact and you do so in non-traditional ways, which we're going to learn more about shortly. Um, you are self-describe yourself as a creative yourself. And in fact, you've used Universe's platform to create a website to sell your own art. Is that is that correct? It is, yes. Uh, I do sell giant hand pillows on my Universe site. Amazing. I, oh, we're going to talk more about that as yeah. well. So Campbell sure. is someone who, who just sort of stumbled into this EA profession and has been incredibly successful at it. So the purpose of, of our conversation today is to really debunk this stereotype that most people have, I think, when it comes to the type of person who is successful as an executive assistant. Uh, I think we all kind of know what this type is, right? It's the person who's hyper-organized, color codes everything, alphabetizes everything, is very type A, loves making lists, you know, probably planned their wedding when they were 10 years old, right? Like that kind of person. And Campbell wouldn't necessarily put herself into that category at all. Um, she's never, you know, really fit the classic EA archetype. And yet she loves this profession. She's been really successful at it. Um, and I think that the, the lesson here is that uh, there are multiple ways to be successful in this position. And oftentimes being able to approach a challenge or to approach, uh, bring a solution from a different angle or a different perspective can be incredibly uh, beneficial in terms of how you thrive and succeed in this role. So if you're someone who feels like maybe you don't fit the typical EA mold or, you know, you'd like to learn about how you can approach your own EA role from a more unique or innovative viewpoint, then this episode is definitely for you. So, um, Campbell, to get us started, we'd love to hear your story of how you landed in the EA profession. And now that you've found yourself here, what is it that you really enjoy the most about the role? 
Yeah. So in college, I studied entrepreneurship and marketing in San Francisco. And while I was there, I got to work with over eight CEOs and founders at really small firms in fashion and beauty. And when I was working with founders, I realized I got to see from the top of the pyramid, I guess, what was going on in the business. And it made me very curious um, to know exactly how a business works. What drew me to the EA role was this like flexibility and also the visibility that you have. You are essentially the right hand to your CEO and no one else in a company has that kind of seat. Um, especially being early on in your career, I think it was a really strategic thing for me to think about. And I really wanted to be in a hot seat and see what's going on in a business. I think in a other role, maybe that you're reporting to the CEO or laddering up to that, you just don't get that same energy. And I do feed off of, of energy and the people that I work with and Joe, our CEO, is super energized. And I think that I knew that I wanted to be in a, a position like that. I mean, and if you think about it, like, let's take Joe, for example, right? Like most of an executive's direct reports, the, the people that would be kind of your brethren in this role would be like, you know, let's say a VP of marketing and a COO and maybe, you know, a head of HR and, uh, you know, people like that who clearly have had a lot more professional experience to be able to get to be at, at that same level of proximity and access. And yet here you come, you know, relatively recently out of school and you have the same access and the same proximity, which is pretty much unprecedented. Like I, I can't really think of another role where you get to just slingshot your way direct to the heart of the situation without having to work your way up the ladder, you know? Totally. I think that is the benefit of being a generalist to which an EA, that's like the essence of the role that's required to be this all-knowing person, almost like you have a crystal ball. Um, that's how I like to think about it, mm -hmm. uh, that you can, you can do a little bit of each task and you're not cemented within the marketing org or the people org or the engineering org. You really have a taste for it all and you can use those skills to empower your exec and honestly the whole entire team um, but it is fun to be the youngest one amongst a group that has so much more work experience because i've gained so much critical insight on how to work and how to work super passionately and efficiently that i just don't think another role in a company could get and that's that's why i like being an ea that is really yeah. the essence of it of getting that hand-in-hand -hand teaching and coaching from not only the CEO, but the entire executive team. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So when it comes to your creative side, you mentioned these gigantic pillows. So let's, let's talk more about these hand pillows, but I'd, I'd love to understand more about, you know, what is this, what is this creative side and, and, you know, how is it a part of you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I, I really like that question. It actually all kind of works together in this really nice flow. So I was living in San Francisco and I was working in fashion. Um, I ended up changing gears and moving to Mexico for a few months and traveling. 
and the pandemic hit. So I had to come home and I moved to, back to Sacramento where my parents live. And I knew I wanted to be in New York. So I made a plan. I had a friend. I said, let's sign a lease and let's go. And she was already in New York. And the night before I moved to New York, I'm obviously procrastinating because I want to do something creative like the night before I move across the country. And I have a ton of fabric and my sewing machine. And I'm thinking, what could I make for my new room in New York? And I start thinking, oh, a giant hand, make a giant hand. Like, I'm not sure what came over me. Um, and I just made these hands. I post them on Instagram. People love them. And I realize I need to make a website. So I make a website on Squarespace, which is obviously not universe. Mm -hmm. And I make this Squarespace site and I start selling them. And then I learn about universe a few months later as I'm like looking for a new role in New York. And it all is very, it just all very, it blends very well together. And now that I'm at universe, obviously I use a universe site and it just all came to fruition, I guess. And did you build the universe site after you got the job or before you got so, the job? <laughs> well, I, I tried universe when I was interviewing and I realized, why didn't I know about this before? Because I worked so hard on my Squarespace site and it just did not have the creative tools that I needed. And then mm -hmm. I saw what Joe was doing, what the whole team was doing. And that's like what really sold me. I was like, I can see myself using this. I can see other creatives using this. And I still use my site today and like build it out and change it. And it's so fun to use. And it's not just like a software tool. It's an actual like creative platform. Mm. It sounds almost like a, like a platform designed by creatives for creatives. Joe's a designer. So yeah. yes. Yeah. 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 So when it comes to this creative background that you have, how do you see, well, how do you think that that lends to your work as an executive assistant? And I guess, how do you see your creativity as a person and just your creative process reflected in how you operate as an executive assistant? Hmm. I think that creativity is really synonymous, not always, but synonymous with innovation. And I think as an executive assistant, you are always innovating on process, communication, something. There's a motorcycle right outside and we're in New York, so don't mind we that. Are. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We, we asked New York to be quiet for this recording, but yeah. they, they said, said no. screw you. <laughs> right, right, right. We're just going to have a motorcycle <laughs> celebration outside. Exactly. Getting back to it, um, I think that creativity can be synonymous with innovation. And I think as an EA and a creative at the same time, you're always wanting to innovate and create and using that kind of mindset just works very well together. And you're almost in a flow state when you're in these like situations, making a decision as an EA, you really are not just making a decision, you're innovating in that second for your exec, for yourself, for the company. I think it's a really interesting comparison. I, get, mm -hmm. I, I do agree with you. I think that the mm -hmm. essence of, well, I, I'm sure other people have different definitions, but I think, I think you're right that 
innovation and um, kind of almost want to say rolling with things too is also very um, central to what creatives do. Um, I mean, I think about like those happy fortuitous accidents, right? Where like something happens on a canvas or something, you know, it's, it's, it's very kind of um, amorphous and the, the creative process is very agile, right? It's like it ebbs and it flows and you, it's very kind of responsive and iterative and innovative, like you said. So I think that that's a really nice um, metaphor for the type of thinking, like the type of flexible thinking that you need um, as an executive assistant. I'd love, maybe you could share with, with our listeners maybe some examples that, that come to mind of um, where you've done just that, where you've had to use that kind of creative, innovative thinking to um, solve a process or a situation that you found yourself in. Okay. I have two stories, one of them being very day-to-day and then one being quite large. My first, which you might say, this doesn't seem like you're using creative problem solving, but scheduling this is like the bread and butter of being an EA. Um, And early in my career, looking at a calendar and trying to devise how to balance my exec's time with the rest of the executive team with my time all at once seemed crazy. It seemed so unapproachable. But then as I took this new lens of understanding like the energy behind a person's day and how you schedule a meeting affects your exec. And if you put a lot of meetings with no breaks, if you put a lot of internal meetings or a lot of external meetings all at once, it can become a lot. And that person is not going to have the most effective meeting or the most effective day. So something that I've done, not only with my exec, but in my personal schedule is I track energy. And if you notice that you're taking too many meetings all all, all at once, it's not just like, hey, let's stop taking meetings. It's really finding a creative solution. So blocking time, really investigating what the meeting is. Um, so that's the first one. Does that... So yeah, I want, I want to stop you yeah. for one second because yeah. I've never heard anybody say I track yeah. energy. So what yeah. can you elaborate? What do you mean by that? Yeah, um, I find that I'm really energized in the morning from like 10 to 2. And so I really try to do like the meat heavy, heavy lifting thoughts in the morning. And then from like two to four, more just kind of administrative work that I know I can like lighten up my brain a little bit and then dive back into like more heavy work after that, like after dinner for a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's something that's actually really helped with the way I work and like creative problem solving comes when you are relaxed and when you're in this flow state. So setting yourself up for success in your schedule is, is super crucial. But I've also talked about this with um, Joe too, like his schedule, he likes to start his day at a certain time and space meetings and all of these things. So understanding him, but also understanding my schedule and how we can work together is essential for creative problem solving. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I really like this. Um, I, I really like that. There's just that that idea. So a larger item would be planning an event. And as an executive assistant, you 
are kind of sometimes a key player or a leader in planning a team event. We just had our full team offsite in Sea Ranch in Northern California a few weeks ago, and it was amazing. But we've been planning for like eight months. And when you're planning for eight months, you're hiring new people. You're figuring out, hey, what's the venue going to be like? What's the weather going to be like? Who's coming? And you have so many questions that are up in the air. And you're planning for so, so many people. And you want to make everyone happy. So you're, you know, you're asking questions to the team. Hey, what do you guys want to do? You're asking your vendors. Hey, what can you provide? And then you have to make the decision of, What's the schedule going to look like? What's the swag going to look like? What are we having for dinner? Um, what guests are we bringing? Who's talking? Um, and I think having a creative mindset to think through, hey, this isn't just a schedule. This is like real people will be here and be affected by every decision we make, whether that we have tents that everyone sleeps in or we go to a, a hotel or we have sit down dinner or takeaway dinner all these things affect the event itself and I was really working with our events team and our CEO and our COO and we made an amazing event happen but that is only with really critical thinking about how how we go about this and how we make it fun and seem really light but there's so much pre-planning and just make it feel effortless, I guess. Mm -hmm. Make the event feel effortless and in like a really amazing, exciting, experiential way with not too much, but also enough. Yeah. Yeah. So more broadly, I'd be curious to hear you elaborate more on your framework and your approach for problem solving. Um, in, and, you know, you as a creative person, how do you see your approach as differing from those of other people maybe that you interact with, um, what their decision or problem-solving frameworks look like versus how you tend to approach a problem? And, and maybe it could even be that you guys are working on the same problem um, as a group, but your approach was, was one way and their approach was another way. I'd be curious to hear you, know, you maybe speak to, to that and how that how that looks and functions differently for you. Yeah, I want to quickly highlight that a benefit of being an EA is that you see everything, or at least mostly everything. You have your ear or your eye in more than even most execs. You have this cross-functional visibility. So when you go in to solve a problem, you have much more context than most, if not all, people at the company. So I find myself making decisions, you know, really small decisions during the day. I make, you know, everyone makes a million decisions during the day. But I find that even when speaking with people, I can recall information or things that I've heard and take the information that I have and the problem we're trying to solve for and kind of deduce down what needs to happen because I have so much context. And I think the EA role lends well to this. I guess something that I've learned and that I do differently than maybe others is probing other people for answers. So your executive is busy. You 
are given a problem and I go around and sprinkle little questions to other people and try to gain context before making a final decision. And I found that other people, you know, in, in general will try to make a decision based on just the information that's been given to them from the person who's telling them, hey, solve this issue. But as I've learned to solve problems in a more efficient way, I find that asking questions to people that I think could know an answer or part of an answer or even lead me in the right direction of someone who could, that has allowed for a major unlock. Mm. Um, well, and that's that's interesting because we started this conversation by talking about this idea of the EA as generalist. Um, and I think that there's a lot um, in that statement that, that ties back to, you know, your problem solving approach, right? Where if you're sort of crowdsourcing the solution and you're talking to people in, I don't know, I'm just going to make it up, but let's say you're talking to people in HR and recruiting, you're talking to people in, you know, facilities and operations, you're talking to people in marketing, you're talking to people in sales, and you're talking to people in, you know, in operations, like you're, everyone has a different perspective and depending upon what solution it is that you're looking to come up with, I mean, there could be some value in in kind of crowdsourcing and getting the different um, pillars of the company to weigh in. Right. Um, And maybe that is part of the unique perspective of the EA is that the EA is sort of like, you're like the one that gets to like ride all the waves. (laughs) So like you kind of get to surf across the ocean and not just like in one little lagoon. Um, So you can kind of catch a lot of different perspectives. Um, So that's an interesting contrast that you mentioned in terms of um, how you go about problem solving. So Campbell, as somebody who is fairly early on in her career, what do you attribute this, you know, pretty rapid growth and trajectory that you've experienced? What do you attribute that to? And do you feel like there are things that you are doing differently or that set you apart that have maybe contributed to that quick ascent? First of all, that's a very flattering question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's very that's very flattering. Um, so I think a few things. I went to school in San Francisco, and when I got there, I was super excited. You know, I'm in this giant city, and I want to work at all these cool companies that I've been researching. So I start writing emails and figuring out what spot in the city has an internship for me. And I was writing some cool emails and ended up interviewing and got an internship at this really cool small shoewear brand. And I was super, super stoked. Um, and I remember just being very persistent in my emails and not taking no for an answer or not taking like a non-response as a no, like continuing to converse with these people and let them know I'm super interested. And then later after that internship ended, I was walking in San Francisco and I came upon a boutique that I thought was really, really wonderful. They had amazing labels, just beautifully curated. And I remember the next day I emailed the CEO and I was like, hey, can I be your assistant buyer or like assistant? I would really, really love to do this. And I didn't hear from her for a bit. And then I remember hearing back and going in and just being persistent. So I definitely don't take no for an answer. 
mm-hmm. um, even if someone is busy or someone seems like they are uh, they have someone else like I really persist and I think that that has got me a long way in my career just asking questions and also being curious I think my instinct as an artist is just to have this like playful curiosity like a child and to approach things with this like really novel mindset of like everything is so new and I don't have like a preconceived notion of what this is and I just want to go into it with like my full heart um so like I was working in the fashion industry before or like the skincare industry and going into those with a really curious mindset and not knowing much and then always asking questions again and mm-hmm. figuring it out um I think those two things like not taking no for an answer and always being curious have have set me apart from others and also just made me feel successful in my career mm-hmm. and just uh, le- always learning from those two things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. I mean, there's something like very whimsical about the artist's mindset, you know, and, and also like, just like you said, like that playful, whimsical, also taking chances, risk-taking, right? Like, Art is risky. Everything about art is risky. Um, I mean, so many, I mean, throughout time and history, right? Like artists were putting it all out there and taking these massive chances and being outspoken and being, uh, you know, polarizing. And I mean, they're fundamentally like very risky in, in a lot of the choices and decisions that they make. And I'm not saying that you're, you know, need to be that extreme, but I think that there's there is an element to that. And, and certainly like when you're talking about canvassing these strangers and basically saying like, Hey, you know, I want, I want to work with you and I like what you're doing. And I mean, that's definitely putting yourself out there and there's an element of risk to that, which is, you know, reprisal or um, rejection or, you know, embarrassment or whatever the case may be. But I think that maybe whatever it is in you, that's not, um, thwarted and daunted by that is is possibly also the same thing that in you know moves your art and also allows like that same kind of instinct right does that make sense oh yeah I think like a way I've described it in the past and I told this to my mom and she was like that makes no sense but I'm like I kind of love putting myself in like uncomfortable situations like not actually like something scary or threatening but just like in the unknown itself and like jumping into something and being like okay like I hope I can figure this out and that's like putting yourself out there into like a new industry or going to do something uh, in your job that you don't know the solution for yet I like find that novel experience really like energizing something that we do internally as a company. Um, we brought in a, an executive coach years ago um, who facilitated some um, some trainings and some sessions with our group. And one of the things that he talks about is, is brain types and how we as humans kind of exist in four primary brain types. Um, and you can have sort of crossover brain types or you can be like, you know, like predominantly X, but have a little bit of Y or whatever. Um, But the four basic kind of brain types are controller managers who are really about, you know, kind of 
um, driving solutions. They're, you know, they are definitely more controlling. They, they like to take charge. Um, they like to drive for resolution. They're not necessarily looking for, you know, an iterative process or looking for, you know, kind of to issue decisions. Um, and their currency is more like time, right? And like just kind of saving time. And then we have like the nurturer harmonizers who are, their whole thing is, um, taking care of people and nurturing and, and and existing in harmony with others and creating harmony and they hate discord and they hate confrontation, right? And then there's the innovator influencers who are like all about iteration and new ideas and infusing, you know, new, just bringing new ideas to the table. Let's try it like this. Let's try it another way. This didn't work. How about we try this? So their whole thing is, you know, kind of um, creativity. And then there's the analyzer systemizers. And those are the people that thrive on data. Like they, they need research. They have a very, very high threshold and input for information. They want to like number crunch everything. They want to analyze everything. They want to make lists about everything. They want to research it. And they need lots and lots and lots of information before they will come to a decision. Whereas like the controller manager will just make more like knee jerk reactive decision making. I think it's an interesting way of looking at yourself, but also looking at others in terms of how you orient to them, you know, because it does definitely inform the types of ways that you need to approach people. Totally. I think something I'm a very straightforward person as well. Um, and I think that works well in most situations, but understanding others and knowing that being straightforward always, for example, is just not the way to go about things. Um, mm-hmm. And I found that understanding other people's types, as much as we want to just like categorize everyone, it is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a final question for you, Campbell, and that is something that we ask everybody. If you could support anyone in the world throughout the course of history, who would you choose to support and why? I love this question. It's kind of like the ultimate dinner guest question, but you like work with them. Um, it's totally the best. It's a total dinner party question. You're right. Like, yeah. Like, okay. Um, it would definitely be Izzy Miyake, um, the Japanese fashion designer mm-hmm. recently passed. Uh, he has been an icon in my life. I have several books of his work. Um, I love his clothing, but I think the reason I would want to support his, him is because of his like innate need to create he kept a very private life and would come out with these just amazing collections of, of clothing, of accessories, of art. And he was so mindful about it too and never made it seem super lavish or super esoteric. Uh, he makes this, he made this collection in the early 90s called Pleats Please. And they're just, it's like <laughs> literally just pleated fabric. And it's mm. so simple. And the way he thinks about design is just like so inspiring because he keeps things simple yet so beautiful. And he's 
questions like clothing as it relates to the body. And you can tell I like really love fashion and and art and design. So he would definitely be the ultimate person to mm-hmm. to support and to work with because I would get to crack a little bit of his of his insane insights. I wonder what it would be like to support a creative person. Like we talked about you being creative, but I wonder what, you know, how their needs and their um their challenges would be would be different. You know, like I wonder what his needs would have been as as a as a leader, as a business person and as a creative. It's assumed that most creatives have a very like disorganized way of thinking and doing. And from my perception of him, it seems as though he was very meticulous and mm-hmm. organized. But he was also a very private person. And for example, I think Joe, who I support, is a very creative person, but he's also very organized. And I find that I'm a bit like that too. So is there this kind of archetype that we think about of like a creative person being maybe potentially like difficult or scatterbrained to work with or is this like is this is this archetype true Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know yeah I don't know and I I don't think there's (laughs) any one answer to that either because um I think that creatives can exist in um this very kind of subdued almost like um minimalist, you know, scarcity as well. Like, and, and that doesn't necessarily to me suggest chaos, right? I think it's like, there's just, there's different types. So exactly. Yeah. Totally. Great. Well, this has been a really fun conversation and I hope that people can listen to your story too. And, you know, I think that there's so many ways that people stumble upon this, this career and I think what's nice about your story is that it also suggests that there are, um, like we like we said in the beginning, that there's multiple ways to be successful. And it's not like everyone is looking for the same thing or everyone needs to have the same type of background or or sensibilities or personality traits to be successful as an executive assistant. It can be a super fulfilling and super rewarding role despite, um, you know, the, the different types of personality traits that you bring to the position, you know? So hopefully some people today heard this and, and saw a little bit of themselves in, in your story. Thank you so much, Jessica. This was such a great talk. I, I really appreciate all of your questions. Thanks, Campbell. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.